Dedication, Preface and Introduction to Nada the Lily by H. Ryder Haggard This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Dedication Some say, for I will call you by the name that for fifty years has been honoured by every tribe between Zambezi and Cape Agulhas. I greet you. Somsio, my father, I have written a book that tells of men and matters of which you know the most of any who still look upon the light. Therefore, I set your name within that book, and, such as it is, I offer it to you. If you knew not Shaka, you and he have seen the same sun shine. You knew his brother Panda and his captains, and perhaps even that very Mopo who tells this tale, his servant who slew him with the princes. You have seen the circle of the witch-doctors and the unconquerable Zulu Impis rushing to war. You have crowned their kings and shared their counsels, and with your son's blood you have expiated a statesman's error and a general's fault. Some seal. A song has been sung in my ears of how first you mastered this people of the Zulu. Is it not true, my father, that for long hours you sat silent and alone, while three thousand warriors shouted for your life, and when they grew weary, did you not stand and say, pointing towards the ocean, Kill me if you wish, men of Chwayu. But I tell you that for every drop of my blood a hundred avengers shall rise from yonder sea. Then, so it was told me, the regiments turned staring towards the black water, as though the day of Ulundi had already come, and they saw the white slayers creeping across the plains. Thus, Samsio, your name became great among the people of the Zulu, as already it was great among many another tribe. And their nobles did you homage, and they gave you the Bayete, the royal salute, declaring by the mouth of their council that in you dwelt the spirit of Shaka, Many years have gone by then, and now you are old, my father. It is many years since I was a boy and followed you, when you went up among the boars and took their country for the queen. Why did you do this, my father? I will answer, who know the truth. You did it because, had it not been done, the Zulus would have stamped out the boars. Were not Tetswaya's impis gathered against the land, and was it not because it became the queen's land? that at your word he sent them murmuring to their kraals. Footnote. I thank my father Somsiu for his message. I am glad that he has sent it, because the Dutch have tired me out, and I intended to fight them once and once only, and to drive them over the Vaal. Cabana, you see my impis are gathered. It was to fight the Dutch I called them together. Now I send them back to their homes. Message from Tetswayu to Sir T. Shepstone, April 1877. End of footnote. To save bloodshed, you annexed the country beyond the Vaal. Perhaps it had been better to leave it, since death chooses for himself, and after all there was killing of our own people, and with the killing shame. But in those days we did not guess what we should live to see, and of Majuba we thought only as a little hill. Enemies have borne false witness against you on this matter, Sompsiu, you who never erred except through over-kindness. Yet what does that avail? When you have gone beyond, it will be forgotten, since the sting of ingratitude passes, and lies must wither like the winter veldt. 
only your name will not be forgotten as it was heard in life so it shall be heard in story and i pray that however humbly mine may pass down with it chance has taken me by another path and i must leave the ways of action that i love and bury myself in books but the old days and friends are in my mind nor while i have memory shall i forget them and you therefore though it be for the last time from far across the seas i speak to you and lifting my hand i give your sibonga titles of praise and that royal salute to which now that its kings are gone and the people of heaven are no more a nation with her majesty you are alone entitled Bayete, baba nkosi yamakosi ngonyama invluvu ai pendulwa wenno avela wasipata wenno aklul iziswe zonke zapatwa nguive wagena ngela mabun obawa klul uyedwa umsizi wizintandane ezihlu pekayo siyakule kababa payete tsomseyu payete father chief of chiefs lion elephant that is not turned you who nursed us from of old you who overshadowed all peoples and took charge of them and ended by mastering the boars with your single strength help of the fatherless when in trouble salutation to you father payete o somsil and farewell h rider haggard to sir theophilus shepstone k c m g natal thirteenth of september eighteen ninety one preface the writer of this romance has been encouraged to his task by a purpose somewhat beyond that of setting out a wild tale of savage life when he was yet a lad now some seventeen years ago fortune took him to south africa there he was thrown in with men who for thirty or forty years had been intimately acquainted with the zulu people with their history their heroes and their customs from these he heard many tales and traditions some of which perhaps are rarely told nowadays and in time to come may cease to be told altogether then the zulus were still a nation now that nation has been destroyed and the chief aim of its white rulers is to root out the warlike spirit for which it was remarkable and to replace it by a spirit of peaceful progress the zulu military organization perhaps the most wonderful that the world has seen is already a thing of the past it's perished at Olunde. it was shaka who invented that organization building it up from the smallest beginnings when he appeared at the commencement of this century it was as the ruler of a single small tribe when he fell in the year eighteen twenty eight beneath the assegais of his brothers umklangana and dingan and of his servant mopo or umbopo as he is called also all southeastern africa was at his feet and in his march to power he had slaughtered more than a million human beings footnote at the commencement of the present century the population of southeastern africa was comparatively speaking dense shaka thinned it End of footnote. an attempt has been made in these pages to set out the true character of this colossal genius and most evil man a napoleon and a tiberius in one and also that of his brother and successor dingan so no more need be said of them here the author's aim moreover has been to convey in a narrative form 
some idea of the remarkable spirit which animated these kings and their subjects and to make accessible in a popular shape incidents of history which are now for the most part only to be found in a few scarce works of reference rarely consulted except by students it will be obvious that such a task has presented difficulties since he who undertakes it must for a time forget his civilization and think with the mind and speak with the voice of a zulu of the old regime all the horrors perpetrated by the zulu tyrants cannot be published in this polite age of melanite and torpedoes their details have therefore been suppressed still much remains and those who think it wrong that massacre and fighting should be written of except by special correspondence or that the sufferings of mankind beneath one of the world's most cruel tyrannies should form the groundwork of romance may be invited to leave this book unread most indeed nearly all of the historical incidents here recorded are substantially true thus it is said that shaka did actually kill his mother unandi for the reason given and destroy an entire tribe in the tatiana cleft and that he prophesied of the coming of the white man after receiving his death wounds of the incident of the missionary in the furnace of logs it is impossible to speak so certainly it came to the writer from the lips of an old traveller in the zulu but he cannot discover any confirmation of it still these kings undoubtedly put their soldiers to many tests of equal severity Umbopo, Umbopo, as he is named in this tale actually lived after he had stabbed shaka he rose to great eminence then he disappears from the scene but it is not accurately known whether he also went the way of the asagai or perhaps as is here suggested came to live near stanga under the name of zwete the fate of the two lovers at the mouth of the cave is a true zulu tale which has been considerably varied to suit the purposes of this romance the late mr leslie who died in eighteen seventy four tells it in his book among the zulus and amatongas i heard a story the other day he says which if the power of writing fiction were possessed by me i might have worked up into a first-class sensational novel it is the story that has been woven into the plot of this book to him also the writer is indebted for the artifice by which umslopogaas obtained admission to the swazi stronghold it was told to mr leslie by the zulu who performed the feat and thereby won a wife also the writer's thanks are due to his friends mr f b finney i grieve to state that i must now say the late mr f b finney late zulu border agent for much information given to him in bygone years by word of mouth and more recently through his pamphlet zululand and the zulus and to mr john bird formerly treasurer to the government of natal whose compilation the annals of natal is invaluable to all who would study the early history of that colony and of zululand as for the wilder and more romantic incidents of this story such as the hunting of umslopogaas and galazi with the wolves or rather with the hyenas for there are no true wolves in zululand the author can only say that they seem to him of a sort that might well have been mythically connected with the names of those heroes similar beliefs and traditions are common in the records of primitive peoples as in the volsunga saga the club watcher of the fords or to give it its zulu name unotklola mazibuko is an historical weapon chronicled by bishop calloway it was once owned by a certain Ongje bekaziswa 
he was an arbitrary person for no matter what was discussed in our village he would bring it to a conclusion with a stick but he made a good end for when the zulu soldiers attacked him he killed no less than twenty of them with the watcher and the spears stuck in him as thick as reeds in a morass this man's strength was so great that he could kill a leopard like a fly with his hands only much as umslopogaas slew the traitor in this story perhaps it may be allowable to add a few words about the zulu mysticism magic and superstition to which there is some allusion in this romance it has been little if at all exaggerated thus the writer well remembers hearing a legend how the guardian spirit of the amazulu was seen riding down the storm here is what mr finney says of her in the pamphlet to which reference has been made the natives have a spirit which they call nomkabulwana or the inkosazana yezulu the princess of heaven she is said to be robed in white and to take the form of a young maiden in fact an angel she is said to appear to some chosen person to whom she imparts some revelation but whatever that revelation may be it is kept a profound secret from outsiders i remember that just before the zulu war nomkobulwana appeared revealing something or other which had a great effect throughout the land and i know that the zulus were quite impressed that some calamity was about to befall them one of the ominous signs was that fire is said to have descended from heaven and ignited the grass over the graves of the former kings of zululand on another occasion nomkobulwana appeared to someone in zululand the result of that visit being that the native women buried their young children up to their heads in sand deserting them for the time being going away weeping but returning at nightfall to unearth the little ones again for this divine personage there is therefore authority and the same may be said of most of the supernatural matters spoken of in these pages the exact spiritual position held in the zulu mind by the umkulunkulu the old old the great great the lord of the heavens is a more vexed question and for its proper consideration the reader must be referred to bishop calloway's work the religious system of the amazulu briefly umkulunkulu's character seems to vary from the idea of an ancestral spirit or the spirit of an ancestor to that of a god in the case of an able and highly intelligent person like the mopo of this story the ideal would probably not be a low one therefore he is made to speak of umkulunkulu as the great spirit or god it only remains to the writer to express his regret that this story is not more varied in its hue it would have been desirable to introduce some gayer and more happy incidents but it has not been possible it is believed that the picture given of the times is a faithful one though it may be open to correction in some of its details at the least the aged man who tells the tale of his wrongs and vengeance could not be expected to treat his subject in an optimistic or even in a cheerful vein nada the lily introduction some years since it was during the winter before the zulu war a white man was travelling through natal his name does not matter for he plays no part in this story with him were two wagons laden with goods which he was transporting to pretoria the weather was cold and there was little or no grass for the oxen which made the journey difficult but he had been tempted to it by the high rates of transport that prevailed at that season of the year 
which would remunerate him for any probable loss he might suffer in cattle so he pushed along on his journey and all went well until he had passed the little town of stanga once the site of duguza the kraal of shaka the first zulu king and the uncle of tchwayo the night after he left stanga the air turned bitterly cold heavy grey clouds filled the sky and hid the light of the stars now if i were not in natal i should say that there was a heavy fall of snow coming said the white man to himself i have often seen the sky look like that in scotland before snow then he reflected that there had been no deep snow in natal for years and having drunk a tot of square-face and smoked his pipe he went to bed beneath the after-tent of his larger wagon during the night he was awakened by a sense of bitter cold and the low moaning of the oxen that were tied to the trek-tow every ox in its place he thrust his head through the curtain of the tent and looked out the earth was white with snow and the air was full of it swept along by a cutting wind now he sprang up huddling on his clothes and as he did so calling to the kaffirs who slept beneath the wagons presently they awoke from the stupor which already was beginning to overcome them and crept out shivering with cold and wrapped from head to foot in blankets quick you boys he said to them in zulu quick would you see the cattle die of the snow and wind loose the oxen from the trektoes and drive them in between the wagons they will give them some shelter and lighting a lantern he sprang out into the snow at last it was done no easy task for the numbed hands of the kaffirs could scarcely loosen the frozen reins. the wagons were outspanned side by side with a space between them and into this space the mob of thirty-six oxen was driven and there secured by reins tied crosswise from the front and hind wheels of the wagons then the white man crept back to his bed and the shivering natives fortified with gin or square face as it is called locally took refuge on the second wagon drawing a tent sail over them for a while there was silence save for the moaning of the huddled and restless cattle if the snow goes on i shall lose my oxen he said to himself i can never bear this cold hardly had the words passed his lips when the wagon shook there was a sound of breaking reins and trampling hoofs once more he looked out the oxen had screcked in a mob there they were running away into the night and the snow seeking to find shelter from the cold in a minute they had vanished utterly there was nothing to be done except wait for the morning at last it came revealing a landscape blind with snow such search as could be made told them nothing the oxen had gone and their spore was obliterated by the fresh fallen flakes the white man called a council of his kaffir servants what was to be done he asked one said this thing one that but all agreed that they must wait to act until the snow melted or till we freeze you whose mothers were fools said the white man who was in the worst of tempers for had he not lost four hundred pounds worth of oxen then a zulu spoke who had hitherto remained silent he was the driver of the first wagon my father he said to the white man this is my word the oxen are lost in the snow no man knows whither they have gone or whether they live or are now but hides and bones yet at the kraal yonder and he pointed to some huts about two miles away on the hillside lives a witch-doctor named zuete 
He's old, very old, but he has wisdom, and he can tell you where the oxen are, if any man may, my father. Stuff, answered the white man. Still, as the kraal cannot be colder than this wagon, we will go and ask Suete. Bring a bottle of square face and some snuff with you for presents. An hour later he stood in the hut of Zuete. Before him was a very ancient man, a mere bag of bones with sightless eyes and one hand, his left, white and shrivelled. "'What do you seek of Zuete, my white father?' asked the old man in a thin voice. "'You do not believe in me and my wisdom. Why should I help you? Yet I will do it, though it is against your law, and you do wrong to ask me. Yes, to show you that there is truth in us Zulu doctors, I will help you. My father, I know what you seek. You seek to know where your oxen have run for shelter from the cold. Is that not so? It is so, doctor, answered the white man. You have long ears. Yes, my white father, I have long ears, though they say that I grow deaf. I have keen eyes also, and yet I cannot see your face. Let me hearken, let me look. For a while he was silent, rocking himself to and fro. Then he spoke. You have a farm, white man. Down near Pine Town, is it not? Ah, I thought so. And an hour's ride from your farm lives a boar with four fingers only on his right hand. There is a kloof on the boar's farm where mimosa trees grow. There, in the kloof, you shall find your oxen. Yes, five days' journey from here you will find them all. I say all, my father, except three only. The big black Africander ox, the little red Zulu ox with one horn, and the speckled ox. You shall not find these, for they have died in the snow. Send, and you will find the others. No, no, I ask no fee. I do not work wonders for reward. Why should I? I am rich. Now the white man scoffed, but in the end, so great is the power of superstition, he sent. And here it may be stated that on the eleventh day of his sojourn at the kraal of Sueta, those whom he sent returned with the oxen, except the three only. After that he scoffed no more. Those eleven days he spent in a hut of the old man's kraal, and every afternoon he came and talked with him, sitting far into the night. On the third day he asked Sueta how it was that his left hand was white and shrivelled, and who were on Slopogas and Nada, of whom he had let fall some words. Then the old man told him the tale that is set out here. Day by day he told some of it, till it was finished. It is not all written in these pages, for portions may have been forgotten, or put aside as irrelevant. Neither has it been possible for the writer of it to render the full force of the Zulu idiom, nor to convey a picture of the teller, for in truth he acted rather than told his story. Was the death of a warrior in question, he stabbed with his stick, showing how the blow fell and where. Did the story grow sorrowful, he groaned, or even wept. Moreover, he had many voices, one for each of the actors in his tale. This man, ancient and withered, seemed to live again in the far past. It was the past that spoke to his listener, telling of deeds long forgotten of deeds that are no more known. Yet, as he best may, the white man has set down the substance of the story of Zueta in the spirit in which Zueta told it, and because the history of Nada the Lily, and of those with whom her life was intertwined, 
moved him strangely and in many ways he has done more he has printed it that others may judge of it and now his part is played let him who was named zuete but who had another name take up the story end of dedication preface and introduction